Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our colonization of the Middle Colonies Unit. Today's episode is a direct continuation of last week's episode entitled Mutiny in Virginia. Today it's Mutiny in Virginia Part 2. Where we left off last week, Governor Harvey had basically been forced to resign. And he was on a boat back to England. Captain Matthews was one of the writers whose writings have survived this, who was opposed to uh, Governor Harvey. A gentleman by the name of Zouch, who seemed to be close to Harvey, but more impartial to the situation, also had some writings. And Governor Harvey himself had uh, kept some writings throughout this. So we're going to kind of talk about some of those things today, along with what will ultimately become the restoration of Sir John Harvey. Captain Matthews uh, was had written a letter and uh, had sent it back to England with Governor Harvey. And the end of that letter was very interesting because he he adds something very subtle about William Claiborne, who, if you'll recall, was the gentleman who was trading off of Kent Island and causing a huge ruckus with the Maryland colonists. Let's have a look. Two days since repaid unto us for the redress against the oppressions of the Marylanders who have slain three and hurt others of the inhabitants of the Isle of Kent. This is in reference to the battle that basically occurred at Kent Island where three Virginians were killed. The Virginians alleged that they were in pursuit of a stolen boat when the Maryland group attacked. So William Claiborne, at the same time Harvey is leaving, is making his case to keep Kent Island with the Virginia colony because it's up by Maryland. That's, you know, and so Claiborne is trying to get the crown to acknowledge that Kent Island is a part of Virginia, not Maryland. And so he's making his case for that and uh, a case against Maryland's behavior in the Chesapeake Bay. He writes a letter back to England as well. Let's have a look. These actions here befell in a time while I'm at home and was also set upon on all sides by my cruel neighbors who have not only trampled over all right, but condemned the express commands of his majesty under the protection whereof I deemed myself so safe that I provided not enough against their violence and so perished by security not deeming that I had such enemies or such men to deal with as would spurn at the king's royal commands upon them. So Claiborne, you know, clearly upset about the death of the men there at Kent Island. And uh, Harvey, so Harvey is going back to England. And we know, we know that when Harvey gets back to England, he is going to report on what is happening in Virginia. We also know that he is probably not going to take the side of the Council of Virginia, who, you know, helped get him thrown out of there. So we're assuming Harvey went back and told them what was going on because in July of 16, 
35, the Privy Council in England sends a short order. Let's have a look. Whereas it appears that the colony in Virginia is full of contentions and the council there divided by faction, Sir John Harvey hath complained, charging some of them with open contempt of His Majesty's authority, besides the injuries done to Lord Baltimore's plantation, especially by William Claiborne, and they of the other party do no less complain of wrongs done to them. So it sounds to me like Governor Harvey has gone back to England and taken the side of the Maryland colony. The Privy Council orders an investigation to be conducted by the Attorney General. Governor Harvey weighs in here in a July letter to the Privy Council. Let's have a look. But it may please your honor to call to mind how that in my last letter concerning the affairs of Virginia, I signify that the assemblies being composed of a rude, ignorant, and an ill conditioned people were more likely to affect mutiny than good laws and orders, especially whilst the council gave them such examples. What I then feared I soon after found, their exorbitances have by much exceeded my expectation. He goes on to say, I found them so far from intending any good that they came armed with a strength to surprise me. That refers to the 40 armed men we talked about last week. And laying violent hands upon me, charged me with treason for going about to betray their fort into the hands of their enemies of Maryland, telling me that I must resolve myself to go presently to England, there to make answer to the country's complaints against me, for with sending at liberty such of the mutiny whom I had caused to be laid fast in irons. Harvey goes on to discuss who is with him in the ship back to England. Let's have a look. Landing at Plymouth the 24th of this month, I have made use of the authority of the mayor of the place to fasten upon two persons which came in the ship with me, the one a person principally employed up and down the colony to persuade the inhabitants to subscribe to a cabal of pretended grievances against me, the other expressly sent with letters from the council and their unlawful assembly to their, to their agents and abettors in England. Basically, when he says to fasten upon two persons, it sounds like he ordered the arrest of two people who were opposed to him that were supposed to be accompanying him back. Harvey then mentions that he was informed of the incident between Claiborne and Maryland as he was boarding the ship for England. So he didn't even know about the battle until he was already booted from the colony. This is inconsistent, however, with the timeline as the incident occurred an entire month before. But it is possible that either this information was hidden from Harvey or Harvey wanted to create the impression that it was hidden. I don't know. On August 4th, the Privy Council ordered all ships 
scheduled for Virginia to be halted until a decision was made in England what to do with the government in Virginia. And they provided some pretty good reasons. Let's have a look. If the mutineers hear that all the ships are to come this year and no order taken to question their doings, they may go on with more boldness as thinking their actions are approved of. If news be brought that the king will punish their insolent behavior, they may take a desperate resolution and seize upon the powder and munitions of the ships. So basically the English government is saying, we're not going to open the door to essentially make them think we think one way or another about their actions until you know we're ready to. So we're not going to be sending any ships over to potentially participate in hearsay and to cause more issues. So boats have stopped going to Virginia. And there's two things, you know, to take out of all of this. First, the English government clearly isn't pleased with the actions of the colonists there because he's, they've already been referred to by the Privy Council as mutineers. So they're already down one nothing as far as I'm concerned in terms of the, the public opinion or the court's opinion there in England. Secondly, the risk of armed rebellion is interestingly already on the minds of the English. So they're fearing that these guys are going to seize powder and weapons and take up arms if they think they're going to get punished. The hearing against Governor Harvey and the determination of what to do with Virginia occurred in late 1635. From the somewhat legible notes of the Privy Council clerk Edward Nicholas, it was noted the king wanted Harvey to be reinstated and returned to Virginia, although his tenure timeline for return was not determined. On December 22, 1635, the Privy Council acquitted Sir John Harvey and ordered the Attorney General to draft new charges for him to be reinstated as the governor of Virginia with much broader powers. Now this is where you got to think about if a ship were to go back to Virginia and report this, what that would look like. Additionally, the Privy Council called upon the return of Captain John West, Captain Matthews, and two others from Virginia to England to face their own charges. So now the mutineers are going to be brought up on charges and face a dose of their own medicine. Meanwhile, Francis Pott, who was likely one of the two people brought back to help convict Harvey, is jailed in Plymouth, England in July. And it is, frankly, it's unknown what happened to him. Interestingly, little exists of uh, John West's time as acting governor of Virginia. No House of Burgess's meetings were called. And the next writing from the region comes in December 1635 when they receive word that the mutineers were being called back to England. So imagine that reaction if you're in Virginia. Word finally comes in. Here it comes. 
And uh, these four gentlemen are being called back to England to face charges of mutiny. John West was actually referred to as the usurper of the government. It's fascinating how in 25 years the West family can fall so far out of favor with the English government. Captain William Pierce was charged with mutiny because it was alleged that he brought 30 armed men to Jamestown to beset, and that is to, to surround and guard, John Harvey's home. If you've ever seen the movie uh, AI and the, uh, the artificial intelligence in that movie takes over, and they're surrounding their headquarters. That's the feeling I get when I read about how Captain Pierce has 30 armed men surround the governor's house, basically placing him under house arrest his last day there. The letter calling them back to England also alleges the mutineers, quote, opposed themselves very saucily against the proposition of the tobacco contract. The letter goes on to list three charges against Captain Matthews, denying the commission and assistance of another captain, misleading Governor Harvey in the commission, and the illegal trade of tobacco. Shockingly, the council came down on the Zouch family. The Zouches were, remember that gentleman who, uh, and when I say the council, I mean the Privy Council. Remember, uh, Mr. Zouch was right there next to Governor Harvey, giving a very fair and balanced account of what was going on. The Privy Council came down on his family. While we don't know his first name, we do know it was directed to his father, who was Sir John Zouch. And the Privy Council alleges that Sir John was engaged in a conspiracy to become the next governor of Virginia. So he was using his son's information to try to prop himself up to become the next governor. The biggest factor that stopped Zouch from becoming Virginia's next governor was that he was a Puritan, an English separatist. And uh, that didn't sit well enough with the crown. In February of 1636, Harvey requests a military ship to return on to Virginia. A dispute over who would pay for that would keep Harvey in England for a period of time. So he wants to roll up to Virginia and make a grand return in a military ship. On March 28, 1636, John West sent correspondence to the commissioners of Virginia and the start of the letter is just is fascinating. Let's have a look. Within a few days after Sir John Harvey had expressed his intent to the council here of departing the colony, they opened His Majesty's Commission, wherein they found themselves enjoined in case of vacancy to elect among their number one to supply the place until further command from his majesty or their lordships. You know, West just kind of makes it sound like it was a legitimate situation. And he goes on to describe a challenge facing the colony. Let's have a look. The colony hath this year received an increase of 1,606 persons with passengers that through 
uh, noisomeness bring no less than an infection among them. They carry with them almost a general mortality. So they're coming, they're showing up sick and dying. Without infringing on His Majesty's grant to Lord Baltimore, they have taken the nearest course for avoiding unnatural broils. So what West is saying there is, is we're getting all these people coming in. And since we can't go north, we're kind of starting to stack on top of each other. And these people are showing up sick and they're making other people sick because they're crammed in. And that's causing a problem. But we don't want to infringe on Your Majesty's Patent of Maryland. Essentially, uh, I think West is asking for probably a, a land-grant expansion or potentially to settle this whole Maryland issue. And frankly, he does not do a good job at uh, requesting a solution or, or making a proposal. The new commission to Governor Harvey was issued in April of 1636, where the king expanded his powers to include trade, making war with the natives, and to maintain a standing army. So that's the reaction to the 30 to 40 man militia. Later that month, a customs house was suggested again as only 3,000 pounds sterling of tobacco came into England when 20,000 pounds was expected. And again, people can skim off the top and sell that to New Netherland or, or out on the open market because it was worth way more. Richard Kemp, who made the suggestion of the Customs House, uh, mentions embezzlement as a possibility, but adds that a Customs House would also increase trade efficiency. On May 20th, Francis Pott, who's still in prison, writes a petition requesting a pardon. He has been jailed for 10 months now. By August, Harvey still hadn't left for England yet, and the mutiny has passed the one-year mark. So it's been a year since Harvey uh, was shown the door and nothing yet has, uh, has happened in terms of permanent government in Virginia. On August 4th, King Charles I writes a letter to Governor Harvey and the commissioners of Virginia requesting that they reconsider other staple products besides tobacco, and we've seen this song and dance before. The price of tobacco had collapsed because of how much supply flooded the market, and Bermuda, which was another royal colony, was actually finding success in some other things other than tobacco. Let's have a look at the writing. The inhabitants have employed themselves in cotton wools, which prosper well and yield the planters good profit for their labors. Now we know later in American history, cotton becomes a big piece of the American South. This is the first time in August of 1636 that we see any suggestion of cotton coming to America, and it came from King Charles I. He goes on to add that the move by Bermuda has actually helped buoy the price of tobacco because there's less supply now. In January of 1637, 
Governor Harvey arrives back to Virginia to assume office, but it does come at a cost. In December of 1636, the Privy Council ordered Harvey to pay for the wages of those on the military ship that he decided he wanted to go back to Virginia on. So he got his wish, but he had to pay for it. So Governor Harvey returns. How will he be welcomed? How will he handle the ongoing tensions with Maryland? Those still have not been resolved. We'll find out next time on Historical Context.